Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. This week, the administration commemorates International Day of the Girl. The irony wasn't lost on Albert Moeller. This White House doesn't really know what a woman is either and sometimes appears to deny the very existence of women until it's politically expedient to speak on behalf of girls and women. And then all of a sudden, they seem to know who females are. Our military has bought into the same gender confusion and is paying the price. The Army enlisted just 75% of its target. How did we get here? What was unthinkable 10 years ago is unquestionable today. And what the church needs to do. The church needs to get men together doing things together or serving together. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again. I'm coming to you from Portland and my home station of KPDQ. You can hear my own program live each weekday afternoon on 93.9 FM here in Portland and online via our website, kpdq.com, and also through the TuneIn radio app. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with the basics. Men and women. Boys and girls. On Tuesday this past week, the Biden administration issued a special proclamation on International Day of the Girl 2022. It was remarkable clarity after the last two years of obfuscation on what it actually means to be a girl or what it means to be a woman. Here's Albert Moeller from his briefing program. I want to draw attention to an announcement made by the White House yesterday. Yesterday, October 11, 2022. What was that day, you ask? Well, in case you missed it, yesterday, according to the White House and the United Nations, yesterday was the International Day of the Girl. Now, that's by U.N. declaration and by American affirmation. It goes back at least 10 years ago when the first International Day of the Girl was held. A statement from the White House in the name of the president says, quote, today on this 10th anniversary, we know that when girls are empowered to dream big and reach their potential, the possibilities for our world are limitless. Now, let's just go back a little bit. Even in beginning the statement, the White House said, quote, 10 years ago on the first International Day of the Girl, the United States joined nations around the world to recognize the challenges that girls face and commit to expanding opportunity and equality for them in every part of the globe, end quote. So the International Day of the Girl. Now, you can understand where this comes from. And we also have to acknowledge that in many parts of the world, girls are particularly vulnerable. You look at many of the continents of the world, many of the cultures of the world, girls are mistreated. They are discounted. They do not have the same privileges and the same opportunities given to boys. But even as we understand that there is a real issue of concern And even of dignity, when it comes to the International Day of the Girl, the weird thing is that when the White House makes this statement about the International Day of the Girl, it uses a word and references a gender it has avoided referencing with any coherence in many previous statements and announcements. To state the matter clearly... The White House and the President of the United States and so many in Congress and so many, of course, in the Democratic Party absolutely have no idea what or who a girl is. 
As a matter of fact, this White House doesn't really know what a woman is either and sometimes appears to deny the very existence of women until it's politically expedient to speak on behalf of girls and women. And then all of a sudden, they seem to know who females are, both girls and women. When it comes to pregnancy, for example, the White House refers to pregnant people. And not only that, when it comes to many other issues, it's people with this, people with that. It is people who can this, people who can that. It is people. But Yesterday was not the International Day of the Person. It was the International Day of the Girl. The LGBTQ revolution in general and the T, the transgender revolution particularly, has made the use of terms like girl, boy, man, woman absolutely contested. But you don't know that when you look at when those on the left see an opportunity for political gain in using the word. And you certainly see that in this White House. By the way, you also just have to ask the question, what exactly would the International Day of the Girl mean? Well, it means taking on big issues. What would those be? Well, consider this agenda, quote, from combating the climate crisis and standing up for human rights to fighting for equitable access to education, health care and opportunity. Girls are strengthening democracies, powering economies and enriching communities everywhere, end quote. Now, the weird thing there is that the very first challenge that is mentioned is the climate crisis. I'm not saying there isn't any kind of concern about the climate. I'm simply saying that's a very strange place to begin in a White House announcement about the International Day of the Girl. Later in the statement, the president speaks in the first person, quote, I am committed to addressing gender-based violence wherever it occurs, online, in school, at work, or at home, which is why I am proud to have reauthorized and strengthened the Violence Against Women Act. Well, there that word is again. In this case, it's in the form of woman. You have references in this White House statement to girls and to women as if the White House thinks those are specific, identifiable people. But the very next sentence, don't worry, there's not that much clarity here. In the very next sentence, we read, quote, and by supporting LGBTQI plus rights across this nation, the president said, I affirm that everyone deserves respect, protect and belonging, end quote. So the White House wants to talk about girls and women, but it understands it has likely just transgressed the transgender ideology. And so in the very next sentence, it has to come back and say, well, we didn't mean that exactly as people meant it. Oh, I don't know. In ancient history, say 10 years ago. You'll also note the construction the White House uses here, LGBTQI+. And as we just have to repeat every time we use that expression, that plus sign, well, it covers a whole lot. The confusion that we have seen over sex and gender in recent days has rooted itself in our military as well. And it's created some significant challenges for recruitment. Here's Bob Burney, my colleague on The Word, 880 AM in Columbus. If you follow the military at all, you know the liberal progressive left has a stranglehold on our U.S. military And they are going fully, fully, fully woke. And they're suffering the consequences. Uh, Quote, the U.S. Army is scrambling after missing recruitment numbers in 2022 by wide margins. Uh, According to a report from Army Secretary Christine Wormuth, quote, the Army plans to increase its investment in marketing and is expected to expand a new program for struggling recruits 
But leaders on Monday offered few new details on how they'll fill the ranks after falling far short of recruiting goals. The Associated Press reports, Army Secretary Christine Warmuth told reporters that a new recruiting task force is coming up with ideas. But any new plans would have to gel quickly in order to reverse the dramatically low enlistment numbers over the past year. For the fiscal year that ended September 30th, the Army enlisted just 75% of its goal, falling 15,000 soldiers short of the 60,000 target. 15,000 short of their 60,000 target. Uh, They reached 75% of their goal, and that's all. And with attrition, natural attrition from the armed forces, um, that's a very, very serious problem. And, And then it gets worse. The Selective Service from the government sent out this tweet a couple of days ago. Parents, if your son is an only son and the last male in your family to carry the family name, he is still required to register with Selective Service. Learn more about who needs to register. Well, that created a firestorm of controversy. Why in the world are they talking about the only son, the last male in your family, and so forth? Because there there are legends, rumors, that if you only have one male and he's the last male in your family, they don't have to register. They're exempt from the draft, which is not true. But what this did was uncover a Biden administration policy where, with selective service, if a person is a transgender woman, now what is a transgender woman? Someone who is born male but has transitioned to female. They have to register. Even though they now identify as a woman, and only men have to sign up with selective service, because they were a biological male who transitioned, they still have to register. However, if you are a transgender man, someone who was born female and then transition to male, you don't have to register with Selective Service. Well, that has caused enormous controversy because it is the U.S. government saying, if you're born a male, you're still a male. If you're born a female, you're still a female. Therefore, even if you identify as a female today, you call yourself a female, you were born a male, therefore you have to register. Now, if you are claiming to be a male, but you're really a biological female, you don't have to register. And the transgender groups are going crazy. Because you see, the transgender groups and many officials in the government themselves say, well, if they have transitioned, 
even though they were born a male but now transition to a female, they are fully a female. That's why they should be able to compete against other females in sports. I've said it so many, many, many times. It is impossible to be consistent if you are a progressive leftist. Because when you abandon God's plan and when you abandon nature, you have nothing but confusion and chaos. Coming up, how did we get to where we are today? What was unthinkable 10 years ago is unquestionable today. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. As we reflect on where we are as a nation, including what we considered in the last segment, I'm sure many of you wonder, how did we get to where we are today? And how did it happen so quickly? Well, Ken Harrison, our next guest, is looking at the relative absence of men. Where are the men, the husbands, the fathers? Well, Ken is the CEO of Promise Keepers. He was a recent guest of Don Crow on WAVA, 105.1 FM in the nation's capital. How did we get here? What are some of the causal factors? Uh, it wasn't, I'm sure, any just any one thing, but what have we failed to do uh, that has brought us to this point? And where have these forces really been able to erode and inroad our culture so effectively? Yeah, John Stone Street has a great quote. He says, what was unthinkable 10 years ago is unquestionable today. Isn't that a great quote for where we're at? Um, There's a lot of reasons. I would say one of the first reasons is that men have not been bold and courageous and stood up. I mean, do you think about, uh, Don, when you were, I were young, if somebody had said to us in school, you would come home to your dad and said, hey, my teacher just said X, Y, or Z. Your dad would have been down there at the school saying, you said what to my child? Oh, yeah. Where are those dads? Where are they today? Um, I think I've told people a lot of times, you know, as you get older and gain wisdom, one of the greatest joy shifts in your life is when you stop caring what other people think. But social media, which we didn't have in 1997, the internet was just starting, has really put people into this phase of fear, terror, terror, really. And I I ask people all the time, you know, I wrote that book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. What are you afraid of? Because I hear it all the time. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What, what are you afraid of? And really what it comes down to is I'm afraid that people will say mean things about me on social media. That's so, it. He, Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. I mean, when, when people are saying evil things about you because you're standing up for Christ, Congratulations. You've just now reached the level of holiness to where you get to be persecuted for standing up for Christ. What do you say to those uh, who are deeply concerned, as you and I are, I know, and others, 
about the relentless assault on the, I'll call it the manliness of men or the manhood of men. Not a recent phenomenon, by the way. The seeds of that have been very deep over the last few decades. Uh, I think we're now reaping the whirlwind of uh, those forces. But what has uh, happened to this issue and how can we combat it now? Of uh, Part of your book, I would think, be, uh, addresses that, a daring faith in a cowardly world. Men have to find a backbone, right? Amen. Where it's really coming from, um, and we could go back 200 years, but I'm not sure you really want me to do that. But Satan has been laying down this plan for a long time. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. So the church inadvertently has been putting an identity on people that's false, and I don't think it's on purpose. But essentially, the identity that we hear from cheap grace is that you are a really bad person, but Jesus loves you anyway. Now, now try not to be bad, but if you are, don't worry, Uncle Jesus will still forgive you. And so we've lost sight of who Christ is and who we are, because the truth is, you were a bad person. Jesus has made you a new creature, and because you're a new creature, you have become the right to become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And now that you are, there is a specific set of works for you to accomplish. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace we're saved through faith, right? Only by faith. It's a gift of God that no one should boast. The next verse is Ephesians 2, 10. It says, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Greek there is literally prepared at the foundations of time, so that when you got saved, when you put your faith in Christ, there was an assignment of good works for you specifically to accomplish, and he gifted you to accomplish those gifts. Now, when we have a proper identity, I'm not a bad person. I am a son of God who has been forgiven, and I have a mission on my life, a calling to accomplish Suddenly now, men start saying, ah, that's who I am. Now let me stand up and be bold. But right now, men are beaten down, I think, mostly because they put a wrong identity on themselves. Their identity is in that they're bad. No. Your identity needs to be God has given you the power to be a son of his and to accomplish great works in his name. And he's gifted you specifically to accomplish the call he's given you. Talk, if you would, in these last few minutes also about what happened uh, all those years ago uh, here on the National Mall and subsequent gatherings since. Uh, what happened uh, that it seemed to not accomplish, not stay as a viable, forward-moving force, if you will, as it was expected that it would? What slowed the momentum that really brought about the largest gathering of Christian men in recorded history? You're done. I mean, the- you're dead on. And what really happened was there was this massive call. You had 1.4 million men, the biggest gathering in the history of D.C., and it was, we're going to take the bull by the horns and we're going to change things. And then they turned all those men loose. And really the, the thought at Promise Keepers was that the church was now going to pick up this mantle and take it and run with it. Of course, the church didn't. And so the idea was that the men will pick it up, and they didn't. And they kept looking and waiting for somebody else to do it. And so with this iteration of Promise Keepers now, we have an amazing website at promisekeepers.org for people to get content and an app that's really, really good. You can get from the App Store. And it's basically men talking to men, over 100,000 conversations going on on that app between men and encouraging men on how to do what they need to do. So we had an event on sexual integrity, and we had 250,000 men watch that live. And you can go on promisekeepers.org or on the app and watch it. And then there's a very specific 30-day challenge to go through to help you get off pornography um, if you're on that. And I know I just piqued the interest of a lot of people when they heard that because we're getting letters all over. I just had one of our major donors call me and say, hey, I heard you 
had this thing on how to get off pornography. I'd really like that for my company because I've got a real problem. Well, everyone has a real problem. And we have something coming out in two weeks called Carried, which is on mental health because men won't share their problems with each other. So it talks about dealing with depression and guilt and grief and repenting from sin and dealing with some of the issues that are not sin-related, but they're medical-related. And then a 21-day challenge on how to get through some of these issues or how to deal with a wife or kids who have those issues. So what we're doing now to learn from the mistakes of the past is what is the follow-up? What is the discipleship? How do we stay in men's lives and get them engaged with each other? Because, you know, frankly, the biggest failure we're having is the epidemic of the friendless American male is worse now than ever. We've got to get men into community and friendships. Final question, how can the church, how must the church make itself effective in helping men if the if uh, the men ever need the church to be the church, it's these days. Would you agree? Boy, amen. Women do relationship by communicating. They're very good at it, and men are very bad at it. Why? Because men do relationship by doing. Men have to learn to trust, and they don't trust somebody based on what he says. They trust them based on what he does. What the church needs to do, and I hope every pastor out there listening to me or every man who wants to be proactive, or even the women who are saying, I want it, things to happen, Churches need to have ministries for men to do things together, go hunting together, fishing, play basketball, play golf, hiking, skiing, whatever it is. But there's nothing that starts a relationship, a genuine, true relationship of men, like seeing a guy in the real stress of a situation and how do you deal with it. You know, we go hiking, we go hunting in Colorado, and you shoot an elk at 300 yards, and you and I got to go down there and, and clean that thing and hike him out, and we get to see who stood strong and who didn't. That's what creates friendships. That's what the church needs to stop trying to get men together in Bible study and stuff. Those are all fine. The church needs to get men together doing things together or serving together, building houses for each other, serving the poor, a million things. But I think that's what the church needs to get from all this. How do men build relationships? Doing and watching who steps up and who carries their burden and who doesn't. Coming up, Dennis Prager. The abolition of distinctions, which the radical secular world desires uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it and it's already happening when the christian outlook returns in a moment hi it's mike gallagher i start every day by reading through the stories at daybreak insider it's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics over a quarter million people get daybreak insider by email daily and it's available to you at no cost Go to DaybreakInsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's DaybreakInsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's DaybreakInsider.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. Dennis Prager has been my colleague here at Salem for the greater part of the last two decades. Those of you familiar with Dennis know he's Jewish, and he served as a catalyst for many to start thinking about ultimate issues, about God, about their own faith commitments, or the absence of faith altogether. His latest installment in his Rational Bible series of commentaries is on Deuteronomy. In light of this moment in history, I felt the subject of Deuteronomy was particularly timely. Dennis was a guest on my program. You've written an essay in the book called Fear of God is Morally and Psychologically Necessary. 
Talk a bit about the necessity and importance of the fear of God and what Deuteronomy tells us about that. It is translated often as revere, but it's incorrect. It does mean fear. Fear of God is one of the most important moral ideas ever conceived that I feel I have to morally answer to God because there is divine punishment and reward. A professor at the University of Oregon did a peer-reviewed paper which showed where people believed in hell there was less violence. The notion that people will act beautifully without reward or punishment is as idiotic as people will drive carefully without the speed laws or punishments. So fear of God in some ways, the basis of a moral society. I just would add something that I think people should note. And again, it's a classic example of biblical wisdom that runs completely counter to our thinking today. There are two beings that the Torah, the first five books, tell us to fear. God and our mother and father. That's it. You should fear no one else and nothing else. And of course, to the modern mind, which is usually a, a rather primitive mind, they, uh, they think that is terrible. A child should not fear a parent. So I did an experiment on my radio show, and I said, call me up and tell me if you didn't take drugs in high school, why didn't you? And virtually every single caller said, because I, I was afraid my mother would kill me. That is such a healthy answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't fear your mother and father, that's not good. It doesn't mean you're scared. It doesn't mean you 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 quake in fear at their presence. But yes, you should fear them and you should fear God. In fact, fear of parents is the conduit to fear of God. That's why honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment, the one following four commandments about God. The conduit to God is the parent. This is all brilliant stuff that is completely alien to the modern secular mind. There are a lot of lovely secular people, but there isn't a single secular institution with wisdom. Let me ask you some questions on some of the more controversial um, statements in the in the book of Deuteronomy, at least controversial in the 21st century. What is the uh, the commandment that neither sex can wear the clothing of the other mean today? What does the scripture actually mean with regard to how men and women dress? It means exactly what it says. The Bible Certainly, the again, the first five books are rooted in the concept of distinctions, good and evil, human and animal, man and God, pure and impure, holy and uh, impure or holy and unholy, life and death, and uh, male and female. The abolition of distinctions, which the radical secular world desires, uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it, and it's already happening. People telling children that they're not boys or girls, they'll decide later. The American Medical Association announcing that the sex of a child at birth should not be listed on, on the birth certificate. These things are truly sick, not to mention completely non-rooted in science. Every animal is male and female except humans. Are, are I supposed to believe that? I guess I am supposed to believe that, but I don't. God created the human being, male and female, he created them. It's a major statement in the book of Genesis. And you preserve those distinctions by your behavior. So if a man publicly, what he does privately is his business. But a man who publicly dresses as a woman is mixing up what should be separate. And the fear of the Bible, which we no longer take seriously, and that's why we now have this, where we have 
drag queen story hour for five-year-olds, which is men, not even transgender men, men, dressing up as women and, and dancing in front of the children, so as to thoroughly confuse them with regard to the binary nature of sexual identity. Human is sexually binary. There is male and there is female, and that is it. If somebody who is male thinks he is a female, that's a separate issue. The issue for the the Bible is if you're a man and you're identifiably male, don't wear women's clothing publicly. You're mixing what should remain separate. Now, if you think that society is better now that more men will wear skirts, okay, you obviously have a non-biblical view of the world. We'll see if your world turns out to be a beautiful one. You can listen to my complete conversation with Dennis Prager at ChristianOutlook.com. Coming up... But even in the midst of what's going wrong in the world, there's good news. There's a light. There's hope. Gospel hope. Yes, even in challenging times. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu slash SPP. That's pepperdine.edu slash SPP. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Dennis Prager, in our last segment, did well to highlight just how indebted we are to the Bible and how it has shaped our culture and helped us see truth more clearly. David Wheaton is the host of the radio program, The Christian Worldview. Back in 2005, he came out with a timely book titled University of Destruction, Your Game Plan for Spiritual Victory on Campus. Well, David revisited that book in light of all that's unfolded in the years since it was published with Lee Michaels on AM 980, The Mission in Minneapolis. Did you ever imagine that some of the things you'd be talking about today, you would even think about, uh, you know, (laughs) 20 years ago? Yeah, no. (laughs) Yes and no. I'll say a little bit yes, because in 2004, when... I was sent out to that Salem Talk Host Conference in, in Washington. That's when homosexuality and they're, they're talking in terms of you know, yeah. same-sex marriage and so forth. And people are like, what, what on earth? I think it's the way people think today or Christians think today about, well, I mean, people think they can change. Like a child, like doing a surgery on a child that try to change. Their, I mean, yeah. what, what, what kind of world is this? So I think that was, that was that's now, but back then and early 2000s, they were talking about that, and people really believe that. I mean, don't they know what the Bible says and what marriage is and what it's been throughout every civilization for all of human history? But that started to kind of pick my interest in, like, things are changing. And so, in a way, I think that's what pushed me to start to change the format of the program. But at the same rate, I look back to my first book, University of Destruction. It came out in 2005, Lee. Yep. And the things we talked about in that book— the pillars of peril uh, on the college campus, uh, you know, sexual immorality, a battle for the body, and then drugs and alcohol, a battle for the spirit, because yep. either you're drunk with wine or you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the worldview battle, the battle for the mind um, that, that takes place on campus. And the, the things I wrote about in the book are, are still true, yeah. and they're still taking place, 
but the manifestations of them are, are just you know, I think I think a lot changed in this country uh, has been changing gradually of course but just what happened with um, you know COVID obviously a couple years ago uh, George Floyd introduction of critical race theory it, it just seems there has been an, an increasing like just a rush. Uh, away, just in re- a rebellion against the institutions that God established in the very first chapters of the Bible, that he exists, that he spoke the world into existence, that he created male and female, he created marriage, one man, one woman, uh, all these different things. He created one race, not many races, we're all the same race with different ethnicities, of course. Yep. And so all, all these institutions that were that God designed from the very beginning are just being rejected and pushed back against. So really, it's not a left versus right issue. I think that's missing it. That's kind of the surface issue to kind of think Republican versus Democrat, political, butting heads and so forth. This is a very much of a spiritual war going on, and this is a, a war in the heavenlies that's been going on since the beginning of time, but I think it's becoming very manifest now in our more historically Christian-friendly America. I would agree. Uh, when you start talking about the spiritual battle and that whole aspect, and we watch, you know, we know we live in a fallen world. Uh, we know that Satan, uh, the deceiver, the liar, that uh, that is what he wants is to divide, to take our mind off the biblical things, to, you know, to tear especially the Judeo-Christian countries down and, and the rise of, of, of evil. And we've seen a lot of that, this deception uh, right now, to me, is is off the scale, which is, again goes back to I think what the, you know the premise of your show and what I enjoy about it is uh, you'll talk about the issues, but everything for you comes back to the gospel, and it's all about there's there's actually good news uh, in the gospel, but there's good news in the program as well because you can talk about these tough topics, but it's not about fear; it's about you know understanding it and then understanding what God says about it. And the thing that changes hearts and minds is is the gospel, and that's what we need to communicate and share with others. And we don't do it with a hammer. You know, you can't beat somebody into submission to accept the gospel, but it's about that relationship, that caring, and that love of communicating with them. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, I try to remind myself. I write in my, my prep notes every week. You know, this is about persuading people that the biblical worldview is, is truthful, uh, but to get there, you must come to saving faith. You know, just you can't just have an intellectual. And the demons believe in Christ, right? And they yeah. shudder about it. So that doesn't give you a Christian worldview. But you know, we want to know that the, the Bible is the truthful basis for all of life and faith. And so that's what we constantly try to understand. Well, what, what would the Bible say about this particular issue? But even one step back from that, you know, there are people listening. Who, who, who haven't put their trust and faith in, in Christ. And that is the most important thing in life. And, and when, you, when you come to that point and realizing who God is, that he is holy and righteous, and that he, he created us to be in relationship with him, that's a beautiful thing. That's, yeah. that's the purpose for which each one of us is created. Everyone listening today, you and me, Lee, Lee, that's why God created each one of us, so that he could walk with us as he walked with Adam and, and Eve. He had a close relationship with him. But the, the second point is that we, we've, we've sinned, and we've, we've fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, a, an alienation, a, a separation from God. And, and there's, there's an eternal consequence for that. But the good news is, as you were just mentioning, that God didn't just leave us in our sins. He didn't just, he's not just capricious and going to 
punished us. He he offers us a way of a path of way of redemption through sending his son Jesus Christ to to live the life we should have lived and to die on the cross to pay the penalty we deserve to pay for our sins. He paid it in our place. He's the substitute for us, and God graciously did that. And that, that's just the best news in a yeah. fallen world. We look at everything going on, and you think, what is going wrong in the world? Well, there's a lot going wrong in the world. But even in the midst of what's going wrong in the world, there's good news. There's a light. There's yeah. hope that we can be right with God and reconciled to him, which gives us eternal life. And we can have a biblical worldview, which helps us understand uh, what's, what's going on in the world right now. I, I think you probably saw the, the state of theology survey that yeah. Ligonier Ministries does. They do it every two years. Well, you know, it's just it's trending away from just very basic understandings of, you know, who God is, who man is, who Christ is, and morality and so forth. And you just think it's very sad that that people are deceived and deluded away from the truth of God's Word. But that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly why you're on the radio, Lee, and we walk around as Christians trying to be Look for opportunities, pray for opportunities to tell people about Christ, how they can be reconciled to God, and where they can find truth in the Word of God. Coming up? Biblical worldview is really based on the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A few more minutes with David Wheaton. So stay with us. Come and see, look on this mystery. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. As we follow the news around the nation, it's really easy to lose heart. But our gospel hope is all the more glorious when we face tough times. Let's return to more of the conversation between Lee Michaels and David Wheaton. We'll resume as Lee reflects on the earlier books of David Wheaton. Yeah, and like you said, those books are, you know, two kind of personal, you know, you really bear yourself in those books. Uh, and I think that is, you know, one of those things that draws people into and understand it's, you know, a, a real person sharing real stories and the impact of what Christ had on your life and, and sharing that with others and hoping people can learn and grow from that. Have you thought about continuing your writing career, David, or uh, are you, is that kind of on hold for now? No, I have actually. Yeah, I've I've considered doing a book on what a biblical or Christian worldview is. You know, this is something that we deal with every weekend uh, on the program and yeah. something I speak on and so forth. And, you know, over the years, I begin to think about, you know, where does a Christian worldview start? How do you develop a, a biblical worldview? And, you know, a biblical worldview is really based on the first verse of the Bible, Lee. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the third verse. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. I mean, that God exists and he has spoken, that right. that is the basis for a, a, a Christian worldview. If you, if you come to that T, you, you can think of it as a T in the road. You're traveling along life's road and you come to a T, that verse is what you confront. What are you going to do with that verse? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that, that God exists, that he created the heavens and the earth? If you don't, you make a decision, you say, I don't believe that, you're going to go left. And your life is going to go further and further away. You're going to go based your life on your own human reasoning and what the world is selling you. But if you believe that, you will go to the right. And I don't mean politically to the right, but just you will take a right turn there. That doesn't save you to just believe that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So if you come to this T, after you take a right at the T, if you believe that, you'll then come to a gate. Jesus is the gate, he said. Yeah. And then you'll have to deal with his claims where he said, I am the way and the truth and life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's the gate to eternal life. And so, but it starts with coming that you, you must to be saved, you must first believe that God exists. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, you must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who follow him. So that's the basis for a biblical worldview, and that's the division going on in the world. There, there are those who have a biblical worldview according to the truth of the Word of God, and there are those who don't, and that's what the battle is about. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. A moment's indulgence, if I may. Lee Michaels, our host in that last segment, has served with us on the mission there in Minneapolis since 2006. Just this past week, Lee has completed this chapter of his kingdom contribution with us. He's moving on. I guess I would say he's retiring. From all of your family here at Salem, thank you, Lee. You have served well. Many, many blessings to you in the days ahead. If you enjoyed the program, take a moment to sign up for our podcast at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. Hi, Dennis Prager here with some information on a new product that's quite fascinating for staying healthy, Cofix RX. Everybody's been in the situation, the person next to you is sniffling or even coughing. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving, and to limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix is just like that. Cofix is a providone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that helps keep you protected from airborne viruses. With Cofix RX nasal spray, you'll target colds, flus, and other viruses right where they breed in your nasal cavity. Cofix RX should be in everyone's pocket, purse, or medicine cabinet. Visit CofixRx, that's C-O-F-I-X-R-X dot com for a doctor, pharmacy, or health food retailer near you, or use the coupon code Prager for 20% off at CofixRx.com.